0: Welcome to the Hedgemaker broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Mark chapter number 15
1: tonight our way through the Gospel of Mark, looking at the life of Christ, and since Mark is the Gospel writer that presents the Lord Jesus as a servant, we have been looking at Christ our example of service. So tonight, the servant in a political trial. I want to make some applications of that this evening. Mark, of course, does not record all of the details about the life of Christ. And so we're going to have to go to the other Gospels to get the full picture of all of the trials. I'll mention it here and then we'll hit it again later. There are three religious trials and then three political trials. And so we're looking at Christ at the political trials, although we're following up on the religious trials. So as we do so, I want to look at Pilate as going to be our main character Not the servant we want to emulate, but the character in the story here tonight who is going to present some problems to the servant, the Lord Jesus. Pilate is going to be typical of any who would present some political issues to the Christian. We are not looking for persecution to come to the Christian, but should it come, it would be like what Pilate is doing to the Lord Jesus. Now, just not—it's not just Pilate. We've already seen the priests, the scribes, and so forth, and of course the people themselves are involved with that. So we'll hit them a little bit tonight. So I'm going to look at characteristic of the enemies of Christ, and then what we're going to watch Christ's example and see what he is doing. So we're going to look at Pilate himself first of all. He is going to be an antagonist an antagonist. Let's read our text, at least part of it. Chapter 15 of Mark, verse 1, and straightway in the morning, okay. so all of this, the religious trials taking place in the middle of the night, straightway in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. What you see in that first verse is the last of the three religious trials. We don't have it recorded in Mark, but he is first taken to the house of Annas. Then he's taken to the house of Caiaphas. and I believe we have Caiaphas' house mentioned in Mark, so we have that one in Mark, but you have to go to the Gospel of John, I think, to find uh, the first one. These are all taking place in the middle of the night after they arrest the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and take him from place to place trying to find accusation against him. Now, what they have to do, the Jews couldn't act on their own to prosecute the Lord Jesus. So they had to come up with, probably, we're, we're from historians and so forth, a written accusation against the, the Lord to present him to the political arena. Pilate and eventually he'd get to Herod and then back to Pilate again. So the elders, the scribes, and the chief priests, and the whole council, that's probably a reference to the Sanhedrin. Okay, so this third religious trial is before the Sanhedrin. And they're probably formulating, the Bible doesn't give us the details about this, probably formulating in writing something to present to Pilate. And they bound him and delivered him to Pilate. Now, Pilate was what was called the procurator of Judea. Judea is the province around the city of Jerusalem. He was directly responsible to the Roman emperor for the administrative and the financial management of the country. Now, a man had to work himself up through the political and the military ranks to become a procurator. So, Pilate had done all of that, Pilate was therefore an able man, experienced in the affairs of the politics and the government, as well as some, we don't know exactly, what military. However, the Jews despised Pilate, and Pilate, in turn, despised the Jews. In particular, their intense practice of religion. When we learn this from history, it's not in the Bible, when Pilate became the procurator of Judea, he did two things that aroused the people's bitter hatred against him. First, on his state visits to Jerusalem, he rode into the city with the Roman standard, which was an eagle sitting atop a pole. So he'd ride his horse, hold that standard. All of the previous governors had removed the standard because of the Jews' opposition to the idols. So that's the first thing he did. Of course, that would tell the people, well, they already knew he was, you know, for and working for the Roman government, and they despised the Roman government. They were under Roman rule. Second thing Pilate did was he launched a construction of a new water supply for Jerusalem. That wasn't so bad, but to finance the project, he took the money out of the temple treasury. Okay, so basically took the Jews' money. And the Jews never forgot or forgave this act. So they bitterly opposed Pilate all through his reign. And he treated them with equal contempt. If you jump ahead to verse 9, Pilate answered them saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? You know, different opinions about what Pilate is actually saying there. Is he mocking that? Is he... What's he doing to the Jews? So, I'm calling Pilate an antagonist. He's doing things to stir up the hatred, the bitterness, the enmity between these two groups. Perhaps some things he wouldn't have had to have done. Like we have the example of the former governors coming into town without the standard. He comes in with it. Just little things like that. There are little things that serve to antagonize people religious and or political leaders sometimes do that we as Christians need to be careful about that we don't need to antagonize people it doesn't take long for you to learn what makes somebody upset we can do this in our homes between spouses between parents and children We learn what makes the other person upset and sometimes people on purpose do those things to antagonize the other. It happens in the political arena, in the religious arena. People do things and you wonder, are they doing this? Do they really know what they're doing or or don't they? It's hard sometimes to know whether they are. Folks will do that. If we are going to face persecution in the future, there will be folks who will antagonize Christians, who will try to get the Christians on the edge. This is what they were doing with Jesus throughout his ministry. Bring him to the place where he'd get upset. Of course, he never did get upset. He is without sin. You and I are prone to do that, so we need to be warned ahead of time that there are folks that do that, and what should we do? We're finding that the Lord Jesus Christ, as Isaiah prophesied, is a lamb before his slaughter, is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. There are many things that Jesus could have said, but he did not do. So Pilate is an antagonist. Okay, so they delivered him to Pilate, and Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered and said unto them, Thou sayest it. So he's asking Jesus this question, Art thou king of the Jews? But I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit here. So let's go to the Sanhedrin. Back up to verse number 1. This group of chief priests and elders and scribes and the whole council, that's mentioned there in verse number 1, would be the Sanhedrin. These folks, along with many others, we don't have it in Mark's Gospel, but in some of the other Gospels, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers. When he finally does get to Pilate's house and, and into Herod's uh, uh, palace, those Roman soldiers mock him. So the second thing that I find, Pilate was an antagonist. The religious rulers, the Sanhedrin, were mocking, mockers. You'll find people who mock the Lord. I was just listening while the ladies were getting ready, I was out in the car and I was listening to Robbie Zachariasen. He was talking about how folks are actually mock the things of Christ. We're living in a day and age when in homes, parents do not give their children the Bible. They do not tell them about Jesus and actually, actually mock the things of Christ. That's the day and age we're living in. Mockers who make fun of the truth. And so that's what we find with the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling religious body they met to finalize these charges against the Lord Jesus and were suggesting that they're probably putting something down in writing in order to bring this to the Roman authorities. They utilize false witnesses. If you go back to chapter 14 and read verses 53 to 65, they are utilizing false witnesses I don't know where they find these people and how they do this, if they actually paid them to say these things, or if these false witnesses actually believed what they were saying. It's hard to know. There are people who think that what we call a falsehood, they think it's actually the truth. And the Bible says that that's what's going to happen in the last days. They'll exchange the truth for a lie... And so the mix of things up, and they can't discern the difference between truth and error. They're also doing this, of course, in the evening with these night trials, which should not have happened. That was illegal in the wee hours of the morning, possibly taking a break, Jesus under arrest, taking a break for breakfast, perhaps some rest along the way. And now they're returning here in verse number 1 formulate probably in writing the charges against Jesus. Now the charges would have had to have been strong. The Roman government was not going, to, in fact we'll find that as Pilate hears them, he says I find no fault in him. So the uh, charges had to be uh, strong. Uh, the Romans would, in order to force the Romans to condemn him to death, and that was the decision that this group made. So As soon as the charges were made, they bound him and they led him away to Pilate. Now, there's an interesting note on this. They bound Jesus and they carried him away. Let's go to the Old Testament, Psalm 118 and verse number 27. Psalm 118 and verse number 27 It says, God is the Lord, which hath showed us light, bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. The Jews are not thinking of Christ as a sacrifice, are they? But we know that's what Christ was. So they bound him, not knowing it, but as if he were a sacrifice. And then turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and begin reading at verse number 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice an offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice an offering, and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. The first would be the the animal sacrifices that he mentioned in the first verses of the chapter. And the second would be himself. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made a footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So the book of Hebrews tells us that Christ was indeed a sacrifice. So the Sanhedrin... The chief priests and scribes are binding Jesus as if to bring him to a sacrifice. They're not knowing probably that they're doing that, but they are in a sense fulfilling prophecy. So we have Pilate who is an antagonist, and we have people out there who will antagonize believers. We have the Sanhedrin and others. The soldiers will mock, it's not in our Mark text, will mock the Lord Jesus, they'll You know, put a purple robe on him and uh, tell him to prophesy. They'll slap him on the face and tell him who, who hit you. Blindfolded him. You read all of the accounts of the four Gospels. All of those things take place somewhere throughout all of these trials. So, I'm going to come back to Pilate again. But it's not just Pilate. It's really the people, the priests, and Pilate who are rejecting the Lord. So we have an antagonist, we have a mocker, we have rejecters. Pilate is not really accepting Jesus for who he is. Let's read that text again back in Mark. Mark chapter 15, verse 2. They delivered him to Pilate, and Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto him, Thou sayest, Look at the servant Jesus. Okay? Now, he opened not his mouth, right? He didn't uh, refute. But he does say some things along the way. How would you feel if you were in Jesus' place? Having gone through that whole night, three religious trials. You've been taken to the house of Annas, the house of Caiaphas. And you've been charged and falsely accused. The Sanhedrin comes and makes this formal charge. Now you're presented to Pilate. The Roman procurator, and he asked the question, Art thou the king of the Jews? Evidently, that was the charge that the Jews brought against him. Here's a man who claims to be the king of the Jews. And I scratch my head and shake my head and say, Is that a charge for which he ought to be crucified? But they thought it was. And really, that's all they could come up with? That's pretty pathetic. So we ought to live in such a fashion, right, that they cannot bring a charge against us. They cannot find fault against us. That's the way we ought to live. Joseph lived that way. David for much of his life lived that way. Of course, there were some sins in David's life that are recorded forever in history. Right? But a man after God's own heart, the Bible calls him, we ought to live in such a fashion that no one, can bring a charge against us. You call yourself a Christian and you live like this? No charges. That's the way we ought to live. So we're learning from the example of Christ. When he finally does answer Pilate, he's meek and humble in his speech and in his demeanor, his character, and his appearance. I didn't really study this, but somebody's telling us that the, the Greek form of Pilate's question is asking the question emphatically, thou, art thou the king of the Jews? Like that. We find here's no revolutionary fire in Jesus' eyes, although we read the book of Revelation and we see that the Lord is that way, but he's not presenting himself to Pilate with fire in his eyes. Have you ever seen fire in somebody's eyes? Indignation and antagonism can stir up that fire. No revolutionary fire in his eyes or in his voice. When I get excited about something, I tend to raise my voice and uh, have a little more zeal in what I'm saying and get excited. There's a humble, a meek air about him and, and a look. There were no friends, no followers with him. You are the king of the Jews? Where's your following? He's all by himself. The disciples had forsook him and fled. Pilate is no doubt looking at all of these things. We don't really know what Jesus wore, but he probably, most likely, did not wear the garb of the elite. Probably had poor clothing. The garb of a peasant. And so Pilate probably looking at that and saying, You? You are the king of the Jews? how could you be a king? So Jesus has a meek and a humble appearance. That's the way we need to appear. We don't have to be like John the Baptist, you know, eat locusts and wild honey and, and uh, that sort of thing and, and appear to be shabby. No, I think we ought to look nice, and but we don't have to appear like a king, okay? even though we're child of a king. And then look at Jesus' strong claim. Though he doesn't have the appearance of a king. He says, thou sayest it. Thou say it very clear. Unmistakably you have said the truth. Yes, I am the king of the Jews. A strong claim to be who he says he is. Now, we don't have it here. I suppose we ought to go to John's Gospel to get just a bit more detail about this. John chapter 18. John chapter 18, verses 36 and 37, okay, because Jesus explains just a little bit more as John records it for us. Let's read some more of this. Let's go back to verse 33. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself? Or did others tell it thee of me? And Pilate answered him, Am I a Jew, thine own nation and the Chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Okay, I am the king of the Jews. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I unto the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. There's a little bit more explanation here as John records this. But Jesus makes a strong claim, yes, he is the king of the Jews. This would be something that we need to think about when we face, if we have to face political persecution, always speak the truth. And don't be ashamed of the truth. Clearly claim the truth. Now, we'll be persecuted, if we are, for our claims as to who Christ is. Who is Jesus? That's basically what Pilate is asking. Art thou the king of the Jews? Do you believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God? You better have a clear answer for that. And you better have a strong claim for that. And not back down on that we have many men and women who have given their lives because of those doctrines, that Christ is indeed the Son of God. That's not negotiable. And then look at verse 3 of our text, Mark chapter 15, verse 3. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. So evidently, the folks that came to bring this charge, the crowd of them, are also now accusing him of, of various things. In John's Gospel, we read that Pilate asked the question, what hast thou done? Well, probably in, in response to that, the chief priest inscribed, well, he, this is what he did, this, 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 he said this, did this, and so on and so forth. All falsely accusing him, a barrage of charges, and Jesus enduring through it all, accusing him of many things. Can you put yourself into that place? People accuse you of things. You don't have to be in that place. Just get somebody to accuse you of being a liar. Just get somebody to accuse you of uh, uh, being inconsistent. Just get someone to accuse you of being a, uh, a cult member. And you start to feel it. Can you feel it? All right. Uh, you want to retaliate, don't you? you no, know, I'm not a cult member. And we're not. That's the reaction that we have normally. Jesus said not a word about those accusations. He answered nothing, verse 3 tells us. And all of their accusations are putting him in and under this sinful behavior. Peter says he became sin for us. What they're doing is ultimately rejecting Christ as Savior. So, the rejection. There are people who are antagonists. There are people who are mockers. There are people who are rejectors. And then let's give another one. Compromise. What Pilate is doing here is, okay, he's being indecisive with this, and so I'm not going to make a decision, but let's compromise about this. I don't want to crucify him, but let's do it. And so we read here in Mark, verse 12, What then should I do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? The other Gospels say, we don't call him the king of the Jews. Don't write that on there. Write down that you said that he was the king of the Jews. And so they don't believe that he was the king of the Jews. That was the false accusation that they brought against him. Well, Pilate here now is compromising. And that's what political leaders will do. In order to accomplish their goals, since they can't bring accusation against Jesus, they're going to have to have some kind of a compromise or appeasing the crowd, all right? So, Pilate was interested in gaining a way of getting on the goodwill side of the Jews, even though he was an antagonistic toward the uh, Jews. He was trying to save his own skin. He's looking for a way to escape out of this predicament, and so, of course, Barabbas was there, and it was his custom to release somebody at this time of the feast. And so he said, surely they won't crucify Christ, they'll take Barabbas instead. But they didn't, of course. So his plan failed. Barabbas was a robber, an insurrectionist, the Bible calls him a murderer, John 1840. So he was on death row, and he was to be released, and the people cried out, go ahead and release Barabbas and crucify Christ. Release the one who is properly charged against the evils. And crucify the one who is falsely charged, I think Pilate knew the truth at least to some degree. He knew the Bible says there in verse number ten that he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy here 's a point: when the truth is known, it should be proclaimed. Pilate should have had the gumption. To stand up and say, no, this man is not guilty. I am not going to allow him to be crucified. But he didn't do that. When the truth is known, it should be proclaimed and not compromised. That's the goal of we as Christians. To know the truth, to stand for the truth, to proclaim the truth, and not compromise the truth. Pilate is going to compromise the truth. God does not accept compromise when it comes to his son, the Lord Jesus. A man either stands for him or stands against him. In Luke chapter 11, verse number 23, it says, He that is not with me is against me. So we're either for Christ or against him. And hopefully we stand with Christ. In order to get this all fulfilled, Pilate is ignoring the influence of the evil men. The evil men are the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, the whole council. Verse number 11. But the chief priests move the people that he should rather release Barabbas under them. There's influence that evil people have. And people know that. So they come in to stir up the people. So what we do is we ignore the influence of the evil men. If we don't, then the influence of evil men will wax worse and worse, right? That's 2 Timothy 3.13. For evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's why in our churches, we cut off false doctrine right here and now. We don't let it continue. Because evil men will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, compromise will ignore
0: the influence of evil men. This is Dr. Lee Hennise, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached to church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. (laughs)